Welcome to the Neo Jotron Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we conclude our discussion on the founder of Bagwajang, Deng Hai Chuan. So we look at a couple different accounts of the end of Deng's life, uh, his death, and then we wrap our discussion up on the 36 songs and 48 methods of Bagwajang. And on our Patreon, we continue our discussion of the eight bodies. We are now at the fifth body, which is the psychic body. We continue talking about the fire triagram and its relationship to Bagwajang mostly. So check that out. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support and take care. Welcome to the Nate Chuan Podcast with Isaac and Jess. Now we're returning to the look at uh, the life of Dong Hai Chuan, the master of Baguazhang, and I think now we've come to the end of the story where uh, the death of Dong Hai Chuan uh, is on the horizon. Here's a section from Combat Techniques of Taiji Xingyi and Bagua by Lu Sheng Li, published in 2006. Dong worked for the king for more than 20 years. During that time, he did not do much teaching because he resided in the king's palace and as a result was inaccessible to ordinary students. So that's that time period where he's working for the king and the prince, maybe as a tax collector. And he teaches very few people during that time that we know of. But there's that period he's inside, we call it the inside the palace period of Dong Aichuan's life. Where he, we've heard rumors like he taught some eunuchs, he may have taught some classes to the, the guards there, he may have taught the prince, uh, a prince or two. He may have even taught some top generals when he was inside the palace. Yeah, I mean, there's a record of a few people that he taught, but including Yin Fu, right? But I think that the, the assumption is that either they didn't get the full thing or they got something different, right? That you know maybe so that that the you know, martial art that's based on eight palm changes was you know mostly taught after he left, but you know. There's no real way to verify what happened in the palace, so right because those you know those were not public record. Right. And so his disciples that are listed on his tombstone are all from after he left the service of the of the you know palace. Right. So the book goes on. When Dong taught Bagua, he used a special method. He taught his students the Bagua idea and then taught the movements of Bagua Zhang according to each student's personality and body type. He also allowed students to change the movements as long as the changes did not violate basic Bagua principles. The great variety among the styles of Bagua practice today and the fact that these variations date from Dong's teaching lead many to believe that he and not Bi Deng Xia was the founder of Bagua Zhang. So he goes on to explain there's considerable doubt that Dong even studied Bagua with Bi. Dong may have well fabricated the story out of respect for the Chinese traditional view that good things always come from a secretive source and must have a long history. So most people think that he created himself and that that tale is probably not true. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's probably some inkling of some truth in there somewhere. But sure. that, like, you know, maybe the guy didn't teach him martial right. arts. Maybe the that guy might just have taught his... him meditation right. or he just taught him some Qigong. But that was the only guy he was willing to name. And that the, you know. Again, the thing that he came to Beijing with and ended up calling it Bagua was primarily his own creation. Right. I think it's pretty safe to say. Most martial arts are sort of 
you get your ass kicked by someone and you you ask them to teach them right ask them to teach you what they know and that's how people learn things and so yeah. you know there's a good chance that dung probably got his ass kicked by somebody somebody taught him something or he learned it as a kid and then he learned these other things when he was you know in the mountains with the Taoists. that's what became bagua right but again that's about as close like, as we can get well here's Here's Liu Shengli's thinking on it. He says, The current most common hypothesis is that Dong learned the hard-style martial arts when he was young. Then during his travels, he had an opportunity to learn Zuan Tianzhuan, which is a Taoist practice method used in southern China that emphasizes circle-walking practice. It is thought that Dong drew on this experience to create the Bagua training method and that he developed most of the Bagua Zhang skills during his first 10 years in Beijing. It is likely that his early disciple Yin Fu provided considerable help to Dong in this endeavor. Some believe that Dong presented only the basic idea of Bagua Zhang and that the system was actually completed in the second generation. Different masters of this generation elaborated the system and developed a variety of styles. So yeah, like you were that's pretty much what you were just saying. Like he he gave them the seed and then he, they're saying here maybe even the second generation created the palm forms themselves potentially. I mean, everybody sort of agrees that, as far as I know that uh, anything past, you know, the first eight palm changes and nobody can really even say what those right. were. Was came afterwards, right? But, you know that, that eight palms is the main that what he taught was was no more than eight palms, if that, True. right? I mean, and, um, <clears throat> you know, we have it from pretty good sources that you know he had eight palm changes. I mean, right. that, that that you can kind of that everyone agrees. That's the one thing everyone agrees right. on. <laughs> so you know that, that that when you get into things like. Weapon sets right. and you know straight line sets and right. different you know chi gung set, right. warm up sets right. that all of that two man sets right. all yeah all of that came from the second and third generation right for, for sure. sure yeah but but they do mention a lot of times when he goes to train with the two Taoists they do mention the Taoists teach him weapons they taught him sword you know so so weapons have been part of the art since even the very beginning right at least but if, most whether or not he taught that to that's a, is, is, that's a good question. That's a good question. Because, right, that curriculum's different from what Bagua Zhang became, right? You know, I mean, Bruce knows weapons, but right. he's yeah. never taught them. So, right. you know, it's like, wasn't it was part of his training, but it right. wasn't he part learned of it, his... He it, didn't enter it into the It system. wasn't part of what he taught, so... Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of schools have... And a lot, you know, a lot of times you might, like, you know, like, I've seen him do a couple things with staves and picked up pretty much what his ideas would be with doing shingy with a staff and i saw one demonstration where he did bagua sword stuff and i could uh-huh. pretty much figure out what the that's idea the fairfax demonstration yeah, the notorious fair, fairfax yeah, exactly and so it's like you know but beyond that it's sort of like i don't know I mean, it's, it's like, not part of the school i mean it's not part of the discarded school. it which is fair enough you can't keep everything well it's also yeah you can't i mean I think it's sort of... And he said it's not worth it. Just do the other stuff. It, it's also very hard to teach weapons without a large space. And, you know, and, yeah, a, big, a big space where people can swing, you know, swords and sticks without it being a liability is, is you know, expensive in Northern California. <laughs> All right. So the rest of the story. Dong Chuen died on October 25, 1882. Waking that day with a premonition that it would be his last, he called his disciples together and urged them to look after each other and to work hard so that their group would prosper and grow. He expressed the hope that the essence of Bhagwajang would be promulgated and preserved for all time. Then, sitting in his chair with a smile on his face, he passed away. 
Hundreds of people mourned for him at his funeral. During a lifetime of legendary deeds and accomplishments, he made a unique contribution to Chinese martial arts. Although he never married, his family was large indeed. So then it goes on to talk about the uh, popular styles and uh, disciples of the style. I'd like to take a look at a piece off the Smoky Mountain Yin Style Baguazhang website that talks about the life of Dong Aichuan. Um, so this this account's a little shorter and, co and covers a few different things. Um, it says here, Transcription of the first steel erected at Dong Aichuan's tomb in 1883. So this is purported to be the stone tablet from 1883 when he was buried. This is the story that's written on the tablet. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so it says here, his family name was Dong. He originated from the village of uh, in Wenan County. As a youth, he was not inclined to do farm work, but rather to the position of hero, to aid those in distress and peril to the utmost of his abilities. He was very fond of hunting and would run in the forest. Coming of age, he traveled, which brought him to visit many places around China, crossing mountains and rivers in order to expand his horizons. Later, he met a Taoist priest who taught him martial arts. Dong attained a high level of skill. Unexpectedly, in his middle years, unscrupulous people attempted to defame him. At the end of his rope, he was forced to follow the unorthodox way to serve as a eunuch servant inside the palace. Facing injustice as his main enemy, he had no choice but to hide his skills and patriotic beliefs while serving obediently in the Prince Su Palace. Reaching an advanced age and requesting further care, he decided to move into one of his disciples' house. During this time, he spent all his time teaching his large number of disciples. They ranged from influential officials, scholars, and merchants, and numbered in the thousands. Each student received personalized teachings. Wow. Thousands, huh? <laughs> well, that's the first time I've heard that one, actually. I mean, it does, It does. you know, it, like that there are, whatever, 74 names on the it's true, list. Something like that, 72. He maybe. only taught for 10 years. I mean, that's that's a lot of people to cram into a short amount right. of time if, if you're teaching them individually and not right. in groups. It's right? true. It, it, res, it, res, you know, it records the fact that he did teach one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, well, most, I think, most of the accounts were that he didn't teach for yeah. classes. Yeah, it seems like that was definitely a, a characteristics of Bagua. And it glosses over the the priest part. So that's just one line. You know, he doesn't circle the trees until they follow him or anything like that. Just right. Like, boom. So some of them emphasize the uh, priest side of it, the Taoism side of it. Some of them emphasize the jumping and the, and the Qingjing abilities. This one... I don't think this one even mentions him being a waiter. That might be the first one that doesn't mention that. <laughs> it says, On one occasion, he demonstrated his talents on the Great Wall while surrounded by numerous opponents, all armed with weapons and seeking to attack him from all sides. Moving rapidly like a hurricane, he intercepted them. All the spectators recognized the high level that Dong Aichuan had reached in the martial arts and were awed by his excellence and bearing. I think, actually, we've read that one a couple times now in different translations. Right, it might be right. the same story. Well, it sounds pretty similar. There's sort of ones where he defeats people, ones where he avoids people. Mm, you know, the hurricane comes up when he defeats them. Yeah, 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 but he can jump and hide and avoid them. It's true. He says, now to death. When he was near death from serious disease, his followers, who supported his arms and legs, said that he was built of iron. Three days later, he died while sitting cross-legged and joined the immortals. His students from Beijing numbered more than 100 and dressed as mourners following the funeral cortege. He was buried outside the East Meridian Gate, about one mile from the city. He will leave to everyone a deep sorrow. 
In order to commemorate him, this steel was erected to preserve his memory for the upcoming generations. February 1883. Right, well, that's as he has 100 students, which sounds a little more likely than 1,000. Slightly less right? than thousands. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to turn back to uh, one last look at the 48 methods verses that uh, purportedly come from Dong Chuan's teachings. Here's something from Andrea's book, uh, Shadow on Fallen Blossoms, that is, shows a little bit about uh, the name of Bagua and where it comes from. This seems the most likely to me, a style named after the trigrams, but not really of the trigrams. Similarly, there is a battle array called Bagua that sets up like the patterns on a tortoise's back, which happen to look like trigrams. The array entices the enemy into the pattern of enveloping shapes and lines, and then changes the lines to entrap, confuse, and destroy them. Bagwajang could well be named after the trigrams because of a general feeling, one-on-one -on -one correspondence is not required, and then the style further developed to fit that name. For instance, the use of the number eight has been there since the beginning. As Liu Jingru pointed out, the Chang branch has eight great palms, the Yin branch, ha Yin branch has eight great postures, and the Shu branch has eight great palms. No school has seven or nine great palms. Clearly, the ordering by eights comes from the very name of Bagwajang. Well, there you have it. We don't know where Bagwajang's name comes from, but as Liu Jingru said, all the schools have eight something, so clearly that must be part of it, the pattern of the set that you do. Yeah, well, that just goes back to that thing of whether it was because they were doing something that was Taoist and based on the I Ching, which, you know, is based on eights, or they were doing something that used those principles of Taoism, but, you know, didn't have a name, so give it a name, and that Bagua was a popular name. That Maybe, yeah, right. And, I mean, again, it's like, it's like naming a sports team, you know? Right. Like, you call them the Astros, or you call them the Bucks, or, you know, <laughs> it's like doesn't mean anything it's right but you know if you happen to be from texas and you call your team the longhorns people are like yeah we're you know and then it's a good sudden, fit right you know, yeah. and then everyone's wearing you know fake horns on their head and you know it's like so it's it's i think good mark but i mean personally i i actually think that it was is based on Taoist principles sure. and it, you know did come from things that were using the eight triagrams and that's why he called it that but again, I, I I don't think that use of the eight triagrams is the same thing as teaching Taoist principles. Right. I mean, it's like you can um, learn a lot about Taoist and a lot about Bagua, a lot about internal martial arts, and never, ever, ever pick up the I Ching and read it, right? I mean, like reading it and understanding the I Ching is like just another level of it that you could go to, but... It's not required. I mean, that happens to be, it's sort of like, um, you know, the, the thing that it was originally based on, right? For example, Buddhism, right? It was originally a sect of Hinduism and sure. it became its own religion, right? It's like, because you start out with one thing doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be where you end up, but you might keep some of those ideas and some of those names mm, to the language that goes around it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think probably what happened was, you know, that lots of things went into it. He definitely put it into a certain type of package that had something to do with eight. Right. And then <laughs> there subsequently people kept that 
you know, that motif of eight and it, and it developed into 64s and, you know, things like that. But again, it's like, it's just a memorization tool mostly, I think, because when you're actually learning martial arts, you learn it much more sort of organically than that. Like, I mean, it, I guess you could learn it by, you know, memorizing series of things, but you know, usually it's like you learn a thing you work on that thing for a long time. So you will learn a basic principle and you work on that basic principle for a long time and you learn a few forms. But essentially, until you get past that basic principle, you're not going to get any better at the forms, right? right. So if you have, you know, if, if you can't squat or you, ha or you can't turn your hips or you can't open and close your joints, you're going to have a really hard time doing a lot of this stuff regardless of what you call it. And so learning how to do those things kind of, you know, is the main thing. But you might remember what to do better if you give it a name. Right. Like, and that's the same thing as, you know, naming scales in music or, you know, like, I mean, I play patterns, create a pattern with a name. And yeah. Then you can and, memorize and, it easier. You know, very few people when they're playing music say, you know, okay. I really dug that mixolydian tune you did, right? Like they don't, you don't reflect on it by you know the notes. Hmm. You say, "Damn, that that song had a great groove." You know, yeah. you there's a feeling to the song that that's what you remember. That's the impression you get. And if you're a musician, that's hopefully what you pass on when you play, hmm. right? So it's the same thing here. Like there might be. A whole bunch of memorization tools, a whole bunch of forms that you got to remember. But the essence of the thing is usually in those first few techniques that, you know, that's just kind of how most of these things work. So you spend, you know, an hour learning the first move, a lifetime understanding how to do it. Right. It's like, you know, it doesn't just end when you can do the form. You know, that's kind of what makes them fun right you can get more out of it by putting more into it and that's one of the great things about it you know? i have to agree so let's take another look at these uh bagojong classics that might inform our practice so this one's called the heart and eyes method the mind is the general and the eyes are the weapons it's possible to conquer him with awareness if mind and eyes do not perform at their best this leads to the confusion of all movements i mean i think that just has to do with reacting to what you actually see hmm. as opposed to what you think might be happening or might be about to happen. Hmm. It says he could, it's possible to conquer him with awareness. So like, yeah, you, your awareness of what they're about to do could put you in a better position. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're really aware of it, you avoid the situation entirely, hmm. right? Next one, glaring method. Attacks come from all directions as well as in the dark without moonlight. Lower the center of gravity and observe carefully. Use curled steps to achieve victory. So once again, you're using steps to do everything rather than hand movements. Right. I mean, that sounds like that's just advice for fighting in the dark. Sounds like it. Yeah. So attacks come from all directions. So you use curled steps and hooking type of steps and lowering yourself. Again, I mean, it's just if, you know, a bunch of people are attacking you. Don't stay in one place. Don't stay at one height. Keep moving. Keep going up and down, you know. The more you move and the less you stay in a 
predictable pattern, right. you know, the harder you are to get a hold of. And so I think that's, you know, like that butterfly idea. Or... Right. <laughs> well, here, using the curled steps, that reminds me of some one time when, I don't know if I should admit this, but I had did the thing where I had eight people put on a boxing glove and try to punch the person in the middle all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and we were testing a theory. Can Bagua work against eight people? So eight people get one punch each, and they're all supposed to just lunge in at you. So we tried it a number of times. And I have to admit, using the curled steps, like it says here, if you start turning real quick right as they all come in at once, you can kind of get a whirlwind effect and block a bunch of them at once, especially if they're inexperienced. You can kind of just sweep a bunch of their arms aside. Yeah, and you know, uh, spinning it, top. Know, yeah, exactly. Right so that I related to this curled step thing. Um, it's an interesting exercise, but I wouldn't say it proves anything about multiple combat. Well, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, it's fighting funny. eight people or multiple people is a whole skill set unto itself. But one of the basic ideas is that, you know, there's only so many angles that somebody can come at you from if you're moving, right? If you're standing still, they can come at you from a lot more angles hmm. because you're, you know, you're just, you're not moving. Sitting right? down, yeah. So... So that's why, I mean, a lot of times, you know, people don't stand still when they fight. They kind of walk in a circle because you're trying to get in, just in, instinctively people know that, you know, trying to get an angle, trying to get a, you know, to flank somebody is just a good idea rather than coming in straight. So, you know, but you just, it's just something they come, I mean, animals do it. It's, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's just pretty instinctive. Uh, that's, super instinctual kind of behavior when you feel threatened all right well this one uh is pushing the limits though it says protect the body method no surprise that the strong beats the weak but it's a real skill if the weak can defeat the strong no matter how powerful and fast the opponent is turning and rubbing the body to left and go around to the right I mean, so he's claiming that the weak can beat the strong with this footwork of, of taking that oblique angle, just like you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, basically, again, just just don't let the person get their hand on you and they can't hurt you, right? If you if they can't apply any pressure to you, it doesn't matter how strong they so are. So you've got to quickly turn as they think they're getting you and you're turning to sort of deflect them. Yeah, well, there's, a, there's a moment when somebody thinks they're going to hit or grab something, they commit to it, right? They, they fully, like, go for it. And that's the moment where you have to move because when they go for it, if you don't move, they're going to get you. Right. But if you move, they're probably going to fall down or lose their balance because they've you know, overcommitted to doing one action rather than having a balanced movement. So, so that's, that's real skill if the weak can defeat the strong, saying... It's not common for weak to beat the strong. So I'm actually, it's, you know, it's, it's recognizing that that's not easy to do. But that turning is the way. That, yeah. It seems like you, if you don't get away from that blow, then that's pretty I much mean, it. I mean, you know, Bagua is definitely a good martial art for smaller people, smaller frame people who are going to be fighting bigger people because it doesn't directly take that forward action. It always is evading things and you know moving on angles and take stuff, advantage so. of that quicker footwork of yeah a so I mean, person. It's, it's that's just sort of it's just the way shingy would kind of lend itself to heavier bigger people because it's mm -hmm. all right so here's confusing the opponent method 
To be able to confuse his mind first confuses vision. Thousands of techniques are no better than one thrusting palm. Palm thrust to the nose continuously. Alternate the steps around both sides. Pretty practical advice. Yeah, I mean, that's just... Punch them in the face continuously. Well, and and get them to fear you. Right? Right. I mean, because... It's kind of a great idea. If the person... Well, it's not even fear. It's, it's confusion, right? Right. That if, if you can get them confused, they start to question what they're doing and the, what they're, do, you know, or what you're doing. And then they start to be unsure of themselves. And that leads to being scared. And then being scared leads to not being able to react very well. So right. if you can get someone to start feeling... It's why people do funny movements when they do, you know, weird hand movements and things Faints like that. Stuff, yeah, yeah, it's because it gets the other person to, to feel unsure of what's mm. about to happen, right? That, and it confuse the mind. You know, and, and one of the things you learn in internal martial arts is you just don't react to things that aren't going to actually do anything to you. So, you know, if, if the person's swinging their hands around, but they're two and a half feet away from you, you don't need to really be that worried about it. Right. But when they get close to you, you punch them in the face. You know, you, you <laughs> knock out their two front teeth. You don't wait for them to do something. Right. Once they, if they're, if they're two feet away and they're throwing punches and they get one feet away, don't wait for them to throw the punch. Right. Just hit them. You know, right. and that's kind of that forward thing of keeps. You know, a lot keeps of the straight. advice is that as they get that close, is when you change your angle and attack right at that moment. But you gotta, you gotta be there on time. You know, they also get bowled over. Yeah, you want them as close as possible before you hit them. But yeah, the punching them in the face is a pretty nice solution to the problem of someone charging at you. You know, it's very practical. All right, here we go. One last one: opening and closing method. It is common to open before closing. It is important to see the opening and prevent the closing. A comeback will be staged after a failed attack. Understand pointing to the east and then striking to the west. That's a little more mysterious, but I think you open and close, you prevent the other person from opening and close, and then beware of the of the retaliation from a failed attack. Yeah, and just you know, not being um, that last piece about going east and feigning like mm. west or whatever. That's the idea of you can be you know, walking in one direction and hitting in the other, right? You can hit them as you mm. walk away from them, kind of, right? That, that you're, again, you're just moving all the time. So, you know, sometimes you're going to be going towards them and hitting them, but sometimes you might be, you know, turning around. That's like the double palm change thing. Mm. Of, you know, you're doing a, a piercing palm as you're turning away from them. Right, like that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah, and the comeback that they mentioned after a failed attack, that reminds me of how in Bagua, like, if the, if you deflect their attack, now it's your turn for the comeback to come. So let give them more of what they're trying to do, then you're in position to to stage an attack. Um, it's the evasiveness of Bagua, I think. It's just, oh, that keeps coming up again and again. Don't confront force with force. Use the proper angles. Use twisting. Use turning. Use the body. Use the feet. All that stuff that we've been talking about for an entire season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably could have done this in a lot fewer than 46. Let me tell you. I mean, you know, probably have 10 of them. 48. Name all of the, the techniques. It's, I mean, it's just saying the same. Right. Well, there's other shorter lists that I think maybe sure. distilled from this right, type but, of stuff. Right, but I mean, a lot of these things are just sort of saying the same 
principles using different examples or different body parts or different, you know, kind of situations, right? Right. What do you do if you're surrounded? What do you do if you're in the dark? What if you do if the guy's fatter than you? What do you do if the guy's taller than right. you, right? It's just like, you know, kind of, which are the kinds of things that, you know, students will ask their teacher all mm -hmm. the time, you know, what do I do if the, you know, if, right. if I can't, do, you know, and most of the time the answer is you get, you lose. Right. Right. But, you know, every so often you, you figure out a way of overcoming something that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's like, I mean, if some, the, the, the most common question I remember people asking it, and people ask me it all the time, you know, well, how do you beat somebody who's, you know, bigger and stronger and faster than you? You don't. <laughs> you lose. I mean, that's just how that, right. if, if they're bigger, stronger, and, you know, more skilled than right. you, you're fucked. Right. That's right? three out of three. You <laughs> run. But, you know, if they're just bigger than you and right. you're more skilled and, you know, Faster. faster than you might have a chance right but it's like you gotta even those odds a little yeah but it's like there is that situation where it doesn't matter how much you practice the person's just gonna flatten right you know and it's like that's one of the more uh important lessons to learn i think as a martial artist is there are people out there in the world who have never trained martial arts in their entire life who could take any punch you've got pick you up throw you on the ground and stomp on you and there ain't a damn thing you could do about it because they weigh 400 pounds and they lift rocks all day long you know it's just that's like a reality and that's when you know something like bagua works really well because you know what you can do with someone like that is you can get the fuck out of there and if you got fast footwork you know when they come at you right. you can that's your take, best chance pretty you know, much. one little kobu bible and get the fuck out of the way and you know there's your door and bye bye you know it's like don't stand around thinking that you're gonna take on someone who's 10 times bigger than you just because you you've trained a little bit you know it's like i mean you can hear the teacher's advice in this stuff whether it was dong Chuan or not it sounds like a somewhat you know jaded sort of he's heard it all before so he just he's got these lines he uses he's just like move your feet before you move your hips or whatever it is. He's always got slogans to kind of like answer all the students' questions. Well, it's, yeah, it's addressing the sort of common mistakes that people make with Bagua, right? I mean, the right. biggest single mistake people do with Bagua is they don't move their feet and they mm -hmm. just do something with their hand. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over, what does he right. say? He says that a million the, you times. Know, the movements are, co the hand movements are coordinated with the foot movement, Yeah. right? I mean, Bruce's line is a kick is a step, a step is a kick, right? That every time you move your foot, it's you know it's gonna step, but it could also kick. And then the sort of pairing to that is that you kick them with your hand. That you can step, and that that kick, quote unquote, is actually your hand hitting him in the face. But the power from it is coming from your foot. Right. right. And he so, emphasized again and again in these classics how that's at the heart of it. So yeah, it's been interesting. We've looked at a bunch of different books over the year, and like. You can just see these themes running through it, and uh, there's a lot of them. I don't. I feel like we've only kind of scratched the surface, but it, you you can already see how these common ideas are blending in the worlds of internal martial arts and come down to us today. And it's just it's fun to practice and dig deeper into it. Hey, folks, Isaac here. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the Dong Hai Chuan series. You can hear the first five parts of it on the feed. Uh, again, check out the Instagram and the Facebook for images to go along with the episodes. Uh, we also have a YouTube page if you'd rather listen to this on YouTube. All right, take care of yourself and thanks for listening.